House Republicans have loaded up their spending bills with hundreds of partisan policy mandates and a vast majority of requests that have no chance of passing the Democratic-controlled Senate are being signed by President Biden. And by doing so, they are almost guaranteeing that we are going to have a partial shutdown of the government. Although Joe Biden remains hopeful, Republicans are intent on pushing through some extreme measures. And all eyes are on Michigan tonight as the polls will or have already closed. It's uh, seven minutes after eight in Michigan. And the big question tonight is whether the homegrown campaign to persuade voters in Michigan to vote uncommitted in the Democratic primary will take hold. Now, the group behind this effort says that this is a way to force Joe Biden to reevaluate his policies uh, as they relate to Israel uh, and the Hamas war. Young Arab Americans, uh, well, Arab Americans in Michigan as well as young voters have been pressuring Joe Biden to change his policies in this very complex geopolitical war. So we'll be looking to see uh, how many votes actually are for Joe Biden versus how many votes are for this uncommitted. And a day after rejecting a congressional map proposed by a bar bipartisan redistricting commission, Democrats in New York unveiled new district lines designed to help the party retake the House majority this fall. And lots of doctors and patients are worried uh, that they could be vulnerable to prosecution in any number of medical scenarios uh, that otherwise were considered routine. And this concern comes after the Alabama Supreme Court determined that an embryo is in fact a unborn child. Uh, some Alabama facilities have already halted or restricted IVF treatment and patients, every, uh, patients are worrying that similar rulings or laws may soon come to their states. Now, it's still early in the primary season and we're looking at Michigan tonight, but there are some uh, indications that Donald Trump, despite beating Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, Chris Christie, and all of the other Republicans running for president, uh, the numbers are suggesting that Donald Trump is not doing nearly as well as expected and that there is a large contingency of Republican voters who are not voting for the former president. And... In other news, the former divorce attorney for Fulton County Special Prosecutor Nathan Wade took the witness stand today after a judge ruled that emails he had written regarding Fannie Willis and Nathan Wade were not protected by the attorney-client privilege. And under oath, uh, this attorney, Terrence Bradley, said he did not have any direct knowledge of when Fannie Willis and Nathan Wade began the relationship and any statements he made to the contrary, he said, were based on pure speculation. President Biden is uh, quite gleeful regarding what he believes is going to be a pause in fighting in Gaza during the Islamic fasting month of Ramadan, which begins in about two weeks. Uh, now, Israel and both Hamas are trying to downplay any progress towards a deal that would result in a ceasefire as well as the release of additional hostages. This is Ariva Martin in real time, and I'm your host, Ariva Martin. This is your one-stop destination for today's trending news, expert analysis, and my unfiltered opinions. 
This is hour two of Ariva Martin in real time, and this is the hour where we dig a little deeper, where we go behind those headlines and bring you those stories that people are talking about. And many of us are still scratching our heads trying to make sense out of this Texas judge's ruling uh, last week, uh, a ruling that determined that uh, Daryl George, an 18-year-old student uh, in a Texas high school who wore his hair, or who wears his hair, I should say, these very neat kind of rolled up dreadlocks, uh, a judge ruled in a, a trial that was held before him that Daryl George's hairstyle did violate the state's Crown Act. Uh, many in that courtroom on that day were shocked at this decision, uh, a decision that basically upheld this Barbers Hill Independent School District's dress and grooming policies. Uh, the judge said that those policies uh, weren't violative of the Crown Act, even though we know the Crown Act prohibits race-based hair discrimination at work, school, and housing facilities in the state. Uh, folks are trying to understand this judge's ruling and what it means, not only for Daryl George, but his supporters and all natural hair advocates. What was interesting about this trial was that one of the authors of the Crown Act in the state of Texas was actually a witness in that case, was in the courtroom, has been following this case from the beginning, has intimate knowledge about the act, the Crown Act that was actually signed into law in Texas. Uh, we're going to have that representative. His name is Carl Sherman. Join us in this hour. And also he's going to be joined by David Icard, a professor of African-American uh, studies at Vanderbilt University, because it's still troubling to me and so many others that Black hairstyles in 2024 could still cause uh, the kind of reaction that this young man's hairstyle has caused. We talked about a full page ad taken out by the superintendent talking about if you're going to be an American, you got to learn to conform uh, to certain policies. So this whole case is troubling. The decision by this judge is troubling. Uh, and that Black bodies and Black hairstyles are still being policed in this country is incredibly troubling. I'm going to break all that down for you when we come forward with Representative Carl Sherman of the Texas State uh, Legislature and Professor David Eichhardt. When we come forward right here on KBLA Talk 1580. She's the real deal. In real time. You're listening to Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. Hey, present. Let's get back to more of Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. We are back and we're talking about that troubling decision by a Texas state court in the case involving 18-year-old uh, Daryl George and the court's interpretation of the Crown Act in the state of Texas. Joining me in this hour is Representative Carl Sherman. He is a Texas state representative and author of the Crown Act in Texas as well as Professor David Eichhardt. He is a professor of African-American studies at Vanderbilt University. Welcome back uh, to both of you. Uh, Representative Sherman, let me start with you. You were in that courthouse on the day that the trial was held. I believe you testified in that trial. So take us inside that courtroom uh, and tell us what happened because we are all still scratching our heads trying to determine how this judge uh, basically ruled in favor of the school and against this student. Well, first of all, thank you for having me on, uh, Ms. Martin, and uh, you are correct. I was there in the courtroom. 
Uh, I am a joint author of uh, the Crown Act and proud to be there uh, standing with uh, Daryl George and his mother who uh, was there and always has been there throughout these uh, trials, these hearings. Uh, I did not testify though. Uh, my colleague, Chairman uh, Ron Reynolds, uh, who is also a joint author on the Crown Act, did testify on behalf of all the authors and joint authors of uh, the Crown Act. And it was uh, the uh, sense of anticipation that uh, this was going to be a corrective measure that the ruling would find that Daryl George was in compliance of the Crown Act was expected. Uh, and so when the judge uh, ruled in favor of Barber's uh, Hill ISD, uh, it was palpable the, uh, the disappointment of uh, following uh, the rule of the law. As lawmakers, we expect judges uh, to follow the laws that we have been explicit about. In fact, Barber's Hill is the reason uh, that the Crown Act uh, was pushed forward so quickly, was they gave us Exhibit A for why we needed protection for African-American students uh, in school and in the workplace. And you say that because there have been two other African-American male students at Barbers Hill who had been suspended or removed from school for the same reasons, for violations of their dress codes because of their natural hairstyles. Is that the case you're talking about? The case is? Absolutely. Absolutely. So the case of DeAndre uh, Arnold and uh, Cadence was one in which uh, they uh, revealed to us and to the world uh, that they had no respect uh, for our culture. Uh, and uh, there was simply a disregard uh, for our families to uh, show up as who we are. So I know you said you didn't testify. Thank you for that correction. But you were in the courtroom. Who did testify on behalf of uh, Daryl George? Yes. Uh, Representative uh, Chairman Ron Reynolds uh, out of Houston, Texas, uh, did testify on behalf of Ron Reynolds. I mean, on, on uh Daryl George. Were there any other witnesses for him? Yes, for his, his mother, who, you know, I, I watched her uh, testify. Uh, and, you know, here it is. She's taking off of work in order to uh, stand up for her son who is within the law. And she has to take off of work to do this. It, it makes no sense. It's very disappointing. Who, uh, Representative Sherman, testified on behalf of the school district? Uh, on behalf of the school district, uh, they they simply had no witnesses that I recall, which, you know, we thought uh, that that would indicate that, you know, they were they were not going. They understood they didn't have a case, a leg to stand on legally. They understood, I thought, that uh, their superintendent was prejudicial when he took out the ad in the Houston Chronicle, uh, that they were just simply resting their case. And uh, we thought it would be a uh, slam dunk, uh, it, for lack of a better way of putting it. Didn't so expect this. 
Wow. Okay, Professor Eichhardt. So Representative Sherman is in this courtroom. Uh, a representative, his colleague, who's a, a joint co-author, testifies about the Crown Act, says that this Crown Act was meant to cover and does cover cases like Daryl George. The school district puts on no witnesses, yet the judge rules in favor of the school district. Were you shocked uh, by the outcome in this case, given your history and what you you know, have been teaching and studying throughout your professional career. I mean, you know, first of all, again, thanks for um, having me on your show. It's always um, a pleasure. I always learn a lot myself. Um, you know, to to answer your question, yes and no. I mean, it's shocking for all the the reasons that have already been stated, given um, the existence of the Crown Act. And, and a lot of folks don't know that that's an acronym. And that acronym stands for creating a respectful and open world for natural hair. Like literally, it is tailor-made, as a good representative have said, it is tailor-made for this exact scenario, right? Creating a spec respectful world for natural hair. And one of the things that we we know historically um, is that um, black people and all the things that are natural to us have historically been rendered monstrous or bestial or animalistic. And part of this kind of body politic has been designed as an instrument of white supremacy to justify inequality. Right. And in black folks being uh, Americans trying to assimilate. We've gone through all types of accommodations of this sort with hair straighteners and even skin whiteners and all these kinds of things to acclimate and assimilate to this Eurocentric notion of beauty and standard. Uh, now, it hasn't been, you know, that many years since there's been, uh, you know, we could even go back as far as like civil rights movement. You know, James Brown saying I'm black and I'm proud, even going back even further to back to Africa mo movement where we started reprogramming ourselves to start embracing our natural features, our dark skin, the contours of our nose, all these types of dynamics to reclaim not only just kind of what's what is standard, but our very humanity. And one of these movements that that came out of literally the civil rights movement was this natural hair movement. You know, we, we are all familiar with the, of course, Angela Davis and the Afro and the black Panthers. Um, and, and part of the reason why we called it natural hair, because you know, white people are not running around saying I got natural hair. The reason why we call it natural hair is the same reason we have a black history month and not just an American history month, because we got to call attention to the fact that that which is being has been historically demonized and rendered bestial and monstrous is in fact natural. This is our natural hair texture. And when that young man, and I don't know how many people have actually seen his hairstyle, it is impressive. It is phenomenal. It is well-kempt. It is long, but he's got it braided back. Uh, and it's just, you know, there was a time that I had hair. Uh, and even when I did, I couldn't do what he was doing. And I just find it to be, I, I saw the, the news conference in which um, he spoke. 
And, you know, you could just see him, you could see that he was just heartbroken because mm-hmm. he thought that he was going to get some redress. He thought he was going to get some, some justice as he, as he should have, um, only to then see another iteration of anti-blackness, like almost resurrected from, um, you know, years past, uh, designed specifically to do what it did, which is to dehumanize and denigrate and embarrass that young man for celebrating, for wearing his hair as it naturally comes out of his scalp. Yeah, that's what's so, yeah, Trevor, and I've been, you know, really making sure we focus on him and how emotional this has had to have been for him to now be in the spotlight, the national spotlight, and to have all of this negative attention brought on him while he's just, as he said, just trying to get an education. Representative Sherman, your colleague, I presume, testified that the Crown Act, as written by all of you, as signed into law, and it was a pretty uh, partisan piece of legislation, uh, bipartisan, I should say, not partisan, bipartisan, where Democrats and Republicans were supporting this, signed into law by a Republican governor. The testimony that I read said that the Crown Act covered Daryl George's hairstyle. Is that accurate? Is that what you heard your test, your colleague testify to? That's very accurate. Uh, and this was, as you mentioned, a bipartisan uh, act, the Crown Act, signed by Governor Abbott. I was there on the day that the governor signed uh, that act and was handed a pin uh, because uh, I'm a joint author of uh, the Crown Act. Uh, this is uh, certainly uh, an issue that we have to appeal, and, and Judge Booker has already gone through, started that process. Uh, it is not acceptable. You've got a county that is 7% African-American, and you can see that there would be some cultural ignorance uh, at 7%. Uh, However, when the law says uh, that you must honor and respect a person for their natural hair, and it is within compliance when it comes to the length of his hair, uh, then this is a, a superintendent who has defied law, and he's been given high cover uh, because the law is explicit and it is the law. And uh, this Barbers Hill ISD is the only ISD that I'm uh, aware of that seems to have a problem with this uh, because of the superintendent. And they continue to force this issue, uh, causing a waste of taxpayer money when all they have to do is respect this young man. George uh, is, Daryl is, is perplexed at the fact that this is all about his hair and he feels picked on and he should because he is. Uh, he is in ISS which is not a good setting for a good student who is following the law. Yeah. When we come forward, I want to talk about the the word length, I guess, because that became kind of the the turning point or or one of the issues, I should say, uh, in the case and presumably in the judge's decision. Uh, And I know there's been some talk in the state of Texas about amending the Crown Act to be more explicit so that these kind of cases never, ever happen again. 
But I just wonder, you as a legislator, you know, can you anticipate every little twist and turn uh, or, ex, you know, or loophole that someone like this superintendent may try to exploit? Uh, you know, that's usually legislative intent, usually a legislator talking about what the law uh, is meant to cover should be and would be enough for a judge to determine uh, that, you know, this young man's hair was covered by the Crown Act. It wasn't in this case. We're talking about why not and what amendments, if any, you feel need to be made to this statute going forward. Stay with us. KBLA Talk 1580. Arriva time is the right time. More of Arriva Martin in real time when we come forward. forward. You're listening to Arriva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. We are back and Professor David Eichardt of Vanderbilt University and Texas State Representative Carl Sherman are joining me in this hour. We're talking about that troubling decision by a Texas judge basically ruling in favor of the Barbers Hills Independent School District uh, against Daryl George, an 18-year-old student who uh, wears his hair in dreadlocks. So Representative Sherman, one of the issues that, that's being reported out is that this Barbers Hill uh, dress code said that hair could not fall below, I believe it was the eyebrows or the earlobes. And the judge's determination was that the Crown Act, as currently written, doesn't address the length of hair. Therefore, he decided that that dress code or that policy of Barbers Hill didn't violate the Crown Act, and therefore the school district could enforce the, the code uh, by forcing Mr. Uh, George to either cut his hair or not return to school. Uh, did I get that right? And if so, how do you respond to that notion that somehow the Crown Act doesn't cover the length of hair? Uh, Arriva and KBLA Thank you for your focus on the integrity of information that the news uh, be accurate. The fact is the Crown Act covers uh, that young man, George, uh, that and, and any African-American student in our school system. The judge was wrong on his verdict. Uh, legislative intent was clear. If you didn't understand uh, the act itself, uh, you could reference uh, legislative intent. Legislative intent was explicit, and there is no need uh, for an amendment. Uh, there is simply a need for compliance of the law. This law was created to protect uh, African-American children in the school system in Texas, where we have over 5 million students enrolled. And this sends a message not only to African-American students, but it sends a message to all students uh, that our children, their hair uh, and their style uh, will be protected. And this simply is about policing uh, African-American styles. It's about policing our humanity. And this is problematic. Uh, we cannot stop and we will not capitulate uh, to go to the process of amending a law that is already established and set. It is about honoring what the governor signed into law. Now, I'm glad you set the record straight because again, some of the reports coming out uh, suggested that there needed to be an amendment to the law. And, I, and that was puzzling to me as well, because 
you cannot in any doc in any piece of legislation you know anticipate every issue that may arise and again as you said if you have any if there's any confusion about the letter of the law uh, as it is plainly stated then the legislative intent is typically what is referred to and what better person to talk about what the the law was meant to do and its intent than having one of the co-authors uh, take the witness stand to testify uh, to you know what the legislators intended for this law to cover. So uh, here we have Professor Eichard, a, a judge, really substituting his own interpretation of a law that Representative Sherman and his colleagues, his bipartisan colleagues, and even this very conservative governor in the state of Texas has said it's clear. But yet we know we have activist judges sitting on courts throughout this country, and they often will, uh, based on their own belief system and ideology, uh, misinterpret the law or reinterpret the law in a way that fits their own personal agenda. And clearly, based on what Representative Sherman said, that happened in this case. Uh, I think it's important, though, uh, when we talk about these kinds of cases, this whole notion of policing Black bodies, Representative Sherman just made reference to that. Uh, that dates back. The policing of our bodies, Professor Eichard, you would think in 2024, maybe we'd be a little bit more advanced and folks wouldn't care if we had braids or dreadlocks. Why does that still bother people? Like, why do we even need a Crown Act in 2024? Well, I mean, um, it, it, it makes me think of a quote from uh, James Baldwin. He had his essay, Stranger in the Village, and he's talking about the, you know, this tenacity of white supremacy. And he says that white Americans somehow sometimes have to come up with rationalizations so fantastic, he said, that it borders on the pathological. Mm. Rationalization so fantastic that it borders on the pathological. This is a, a classic case of anti-Blackness. Um, and it is designed to do exactly what it is doing, right? This this judge understands what, you're right, Brother Sherman very eloquently spelled out. There was no doubt. And if there, if there was any doubt, when the other representative was on the stand to clarify what the legislation intent was, that should have been it. Right. So if there was any type of uh, misunderstanding, which clearly there was not, um, then that should have cleared it up. Um, this is, in fact, why Derek Bell, right, created um, critical race theory. Ever heard of that? Um, because primarily what he was trying to do was to show, right, because when you teach law, uh, Derek Bell was a, a law professor at Harvard when he created critical race theory. And one of the reasons he created the theory was that the idea of law, right, this notion of jurisprudence is that the law is somehow blind. The, the, the law does not discriminate. The law is about justice, it's about words. So it's literally about straight interpretation of the legal form, right? And what Bell made very clear was that there were cultural factors that were invisible that infused the law with these types of biases that were very difficult to identify by design, 
mm-hmm. right? And you have another case here where a judge is clearly uh, pleading ignorance to something that has been laid bare irrefutably, what the intent of this law was to do a bit of white supremacist activism. That's what this is. This is white supremacist activism. And let well, well, me just, mean, Professor Eichert, why does our hair in this moment, 2024, uh, again, why do we need Crown Act? So we know it, you know, it stalled the Crown Act, the National Crown Act stalled in Congress, couldn't get bipartisan support, but the Crown Act, California has one, lots of states, lots of cities have been acted Crown Acts, which is good. But as a civil rights lawyer, you know, we already have laws on the books that say you cannot discriminate against folks on the basis of race. But yet we we had to have a Crown Act because there was continued discrimination around black folks hair. So it's very hard to understand why our hair in particular is such a, a, a focus of obsession with white supremacists or a white supremacy theory. Why do they latch on to black folks' hair? Well, I mean, one of the things that's the the, the product of white supremacy is this kind of parasitical relationship to blackness. In other words, in order to render whiteness normal, there has to be something that is the not normal, the not standard, right? And so in order to render white women's hair natural, white women's beauty as organic as the standard, there's got to be a not standard. There's got to be something against which whiteness gets its elevation. Right. That's what that I mean, there were laws that constructed black women as being always already consenting to sex. They use that type of construction against white women who were constructed as not liking sex, as being pure, as being hyper feminine. Then they use that comparison there to construct the law within slavery that said it was the actual slave woman that was seducing the white master. And that's how she got pregnant and ended up producing these biracial babies. And so the law of coverture said that the condition of the child followed the condition of the mother and not the white father. So these distinctions are not arbitrary, Mm. right? They have particular legal material utility, Mm. right? So it's important as we kind of look at these things to just, it's just not simply about preference. There's literally a utility to these types of, of stereotypes. You know, I just had this this thought, epiphany maybe. So is that why even like as women, black women, predominantly black women had children, not married, were forced to name the child after you know their surname? Even if I've, I've had black women say to me, they went to hospitals in the 40s and 50s and they knew who the father was and they couldn't give the baby the father's last name. Is that following what you just described, these laws during you know, slavery where they you, you weren't going to name this baby after the master, right? You weren't going to give Absolutely. him the rights and the legality and the, the inheritance rights and all that come with that of that master. So that baby, despite having two parents, because it takes two to have a baby. And one that is free. And one that is free. See, that's huge, right? So if that biracial child would say, like, my father is white, he's the master, 
Therefore, I should not only be free, but entitled to the inheritance of the master. Mm-hmm. Right. And so you have to create in the black woman the embodiment of a lascivious, hypersexual, unmoral woman to then turn the master who is actually the oppressor, the explorer, the rapist into the victim. Right. Mm-hmm. This is I mean, that is when when Baldwin is saying you have to resort to those rationalizations that are so fantastic that they border on the pathological. That's what he's speaking to. It's a historical phenomenon. And so when you see what is happening to this young brother, I mean, who's literally in school suspension. That's what ISS is in school. He is being detained, uh, isolated from his classmates. Not because he got in a fight, not because he's talking back to the teacher, not because he's been disruptive, but because the hairstyle that he is wearing, the natural hairstyle he is wearing is violating some arbitrary law that is literally grounded in white supremacy. Yeah, when we come for, yeah, that's so deep. Uh, when we come forward, Representative Sherman, I want to know where do you go from here? You said there's not going to be an amendment because the law doesn't need to be amendment. It speaks for itself. Uh, but I, I do want to talk about how your body, your, your governing body, the legislators in Texas are thinking about this case and how you continue to provide protection uh, for students who do choose to wear natural hairstyles. Stay with us. KBLA Talk 1580. She's the real deal. In real time. You're listening to Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. There's no time like the present. Let's get back to more of Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. All right, Representative uh, Sherman, you just said there's not any plans at this point to amend the Crown Act, state of Texas, because you said it doesn't need amending. Uh, But what are you and your colleagues thinking about in the state legislature about how to avoid the interpretation of the act and have the outcome that we just saw in the Daryl George case? Two things, Ariva. Uh, as we look to protect the rights of children in our school system, people, uh, African-American children, as well as African-American adults in the workplace, uh, we will continue to work with other states. 23 states have passed the Crown Act. 28 municipalities have passed the some form of the Crown Act. Uh, What we've got to do is ensure that judicially uh, we follow every step necessary to protect every African-American in this great country. And on the federal level, as I announce my candidacy for the U.S. Senate, I will be also working on the federal level, uh, working with Senator Booker and others uh, to ensure that we pass federal protection and pass the Crown Act from the federal law. And then finally, I just have to say, for those people who say I don't do politics, I don't do politics. Politics does you all day, every day. When a young man like Daryl George can't get an education and has been on in-school suspension since the first or first week of school, that's politics. When a judge will not uphold the law of Texas, that's politics. And so if you don't get involved, 
politics is doing you every day, all day. We need individuals to get involved to ensure that we will elect people who have a fidelity to legislation, who have a fidelity to laws uh, that we've enacted. Thank you so much for saying that because we are in election season and you're right. There are a lot of folks that like to say they don't get involved in politics. They don't care about politics. They don't pay attention. Well, you, you just said it so perfectly. Politics is doing you. Politics is making decisions about your life and all politics are local. We know that. So that superintendent at Barbers Hill is selected as the superintendent or allowed to serve as superintendent because there is a school board. And those school board members are elected. They run for office and they get elected by the residents of that community. So when you are sitting out and sitting at home thinking you don't do politics, other folks are out voting and they're voting into office people who will then hire and maintain and help fund and support superintendents like this one that blatantly disregards the law and discriminates against African-American students. So if you want to end that kind of discrimination, if you want your kids and all kids to be able to go to school free of this kind of discrimination, you've got to be involved because these decisions are being made by people who are elected in office, whether it's your district attorney who's determining who's going to be prosecuted. Many judges, most judges are elected in most jurisdictions. Now there are some who are appointed but the majority of state court judges around this country are elected. So when you don't vote in those elections, you also are supporting judges like this judge who are blatantly disregarding the law. So uh, no better time, Representative Sherman, than to remind people that politics, everything is political. I don't, you know, we can't talk about anything uh, without having to recognize that there's some element of politics. And uh, Professor Eichhardt, Derek Bell, who uh, I had the honor of being a student under and, and actually clerking for him and doing some work for him. Uh, ironically, my uh, name, uh, one of my, I guess, government names uh, is Ariva Bell. Uh, that's what he was talking about with critical race theory that infused in all of our legal, you know, in our entire legal system and our system of laws is politics, race, uh, and, uh, you know, this bias that makes for these kinds of outcomes. And again, folks who want to have this really naive notion that the law is colorblind, you know, Lady Justice, you know, has like a, a bandana around her head. That is as far from true as, as anything. Absolutely. No, absolutely. And I mean, I'm looking for the amen button to push um, because you both have been speaking um, truth to power and you know, this is like this African proverb that says, pray and move your feet, right? You have to, we have to get involved. Um, you see all these ways in which particularly conservatives are trying to shut down the ability for black people to vote, it, it, even going so far as to make it illegal to serve people water while they wait in these astronomically long lines to vote. Um, it should tell us a lot that they're trying desperately to keep us from the polls. Voting matters. It always has mattered. And if we don't vote, Jordan Hurston said, if you're not invited to the dinner, that means you're probably on the menu. Yeah. Right. And so get off the menu and, and we got to get into the party. 
right. And, and just finally, Dr. Uh, Eichhardt, how do we, you know, help Black kids like Daryl George understand that his Black is beautiful, even though on a daily, they probably feel like they're under attack? You know, I think it's it's important for us, um, as I've seen, you know, communities rally around this young brother to um, remind him that not only is he fighting the good fight, but the ways in which he's being treated is consistent with the ways that Black folks have been treated, right, over generations. A lot of folks forget that we were either enslaved or under a Jim Crow system for about four times as long as we've quote unquote been free, right? Mm -hmm. And so America in that context has really just begun to try and figure out how to deal with the African-American as an actual free citizen. And so, you know, this this brother is gonna be a part of history. Um, this will be something hopefully he can look back on and see that the community rallied around him, that they reminded the world that this will not be tolerated and this judgment will not stand and people will push and they will fight and they will make sure that, you know, this type of thing doesn't happen to another one of our children. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, thank you, Representative Sherman, for standing with this family. Uh, we recognize you are in an election yourself. We want to make sure folks know where they can go and learn more about your election. Do you have a website? I do, and thank you. It's carlsherman.com. That's Carl with the C, carlsherman.com. And I want to thank the author of the Crown Act, Representative Veta Bowers, who has been uh, really fighting hard for Daryl George and many others as we uh, work collectively uh, as a group uh, to make this uh, where any student should have the dignity. And you're right. No person really should have to have a law that says you will have to respect my hair. My hair. Uh, this is about policing our identity. Yep. And thank you so much for the work you're doing, Professor uh, Eichert, on this issue so critical. And thank you, Representative Sherman. Good luck in that election. We are out of time. Next voice that you hear is and Rob thank you. And the Raw Report right here on KBLA Talk 1580. Don't touch that dial.